0: so excited about this morning for some reason, I don't know why, but uh, come on, I just get to teach the word, but uh, the message is, is uh, Paul writing to this young man named Titus, I'm assuming he's young, history says that Titus died either in 97 AD or 106, that's kind of a wide range. But one of those two years. So, uh, if this is written in in sixty five A.D. and if you remember back to Corinthians, there's we have First and Second Corinthians in our Bibles, but there are actually more letters written. There was a very severe letter that he wrote, and he kind of like, oh gosh, I shouldn't have sent that letter. Well, Titus is the one that like took it to Corinth for him. So that was around fifty five. And obviously he could travel well, so he was young. And so I'm assuming that he was still young here when Paul wrote to him, he's on the island of Crete, and Paul's literally put him in charge of the church. That's not like the organization, but the believers in Jesus Christ there on the island of Crete. The people that are supposed to live in community and support one another and all that, yet there's chaos that's going on because the whole island is kind of like Vegas. There's a lot of moral issues that are going on here, drinking and sex and gossiping and all this stuff that you can list, and Titus is like, sends the word back to Paul, like, it's a mess here, help. And so Paul literally sits down and pins this letter to Titus and tells him, here's how you need to like help lead the church, because we all know Jesus is the leader, right? Jesus has to be the leader. So here's what you need to do, is you need to get elders, which is what we talked about last week. But then he really talks about what they need to know this week. And I'm really excited about it. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. The sound teaching that, or the sound doctrine, doctrine is what you actually believe about what the Bible says, so you develop these beliefs about the things, and it becomes your doctrine. But the sound doctrine of which Paul is talking about minister out of is the gospel of grace. In that time, Paul was teaching grace just... Hopefully, like we're teaching it here. We're learning from Paul how to teach grace here in this church. But at the time, you remember last week that Judaizers came along and kept trying to get them to go back to the law. Go back, you got to obey the law and everything else and you need to be circumcised and all this other stuff, the Judaizers. And he's like, no, no, no. You teach sound doctrine, Titus. Teach them grace. Teach them what I have taught you. The new covenant is our foundation, and literally you could go back to one of Paul's letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he talks about what that foundation is, that it's the grace of Jesus Christ. Anything that violates and that is not sound doctrine, it needs to be done away with, no matter how popular the teaching is. This was written in 65 AD, and I'm like, are you sure it's not written for 2023? Like, the same things happen in 2,000 years later. There's, like, legalism in the church. There's some weird doctrines that are being initiated into the church. And he's like, no, 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 you stick to one thing, and that's Jesus and the grace of Jesus. Oh, now watch this. Not to offend anybody in here, but he says, Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith love, and endurance. (coughs) If he's saying anything, he's saying older men are to be temperate, to be dignified, to be sensible, to be sound in faith, in love, the greatest of these is love, and in perseverance. He's... Equating this older age, this older age, and let me say what older age is referring to. In the first century A.D., the context refers to men over 50. So, Dale, you're an older man. Well, I mean, if, like, old Blue's going to call Dale out, it's like, you're an older man. So now he's telling you how to behave. No, he's not telling you how to behave He's telling you, if you stick to sound doctrine, if you stick to teaching Jesus, this is what's going to come out of you. These are the things that are just going to spill out of you. It's going to be natural for you because now you're a new creation. You're holy, righteous, and redeemed. Dale believed in Jesus a long time ago when he was a child. But he's coming into this spiritual maturity and this understanding of who he is, and all of a sudden, man, incredible things are coming out of him, relationships are coming out of him, words are coming out, songs are coming out. It's 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 a blast to watch. And it's not he's not the only one in the room. If you look at the New American standard, it says older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, and love and perseverance. There's a word there that actually is translated as to be sober, to be sober-minded. I don't have a problem with drinking, but he's literally saying, you can sit at the table too long. And when you sit at the table too long, then you're no longer sober, and you can't think right. You can't think properly. An older man is going to know when to get up and get away from the table he's saying be sensible but also this know what you believe know what you believe and your doctrinal convictions should be in accordance with God's word like everything that you should believe that you believe should be like spelled spelled out right here in context in context now Titus Titus was young And Paul was encouraging Titus to don't overlook the older men. Titus, you're young, you're you're establishing elders, but look up to these older men because they're going to teach you a lot. You're young, you know Jesus, you're able to proclaim it, but don't give up on them. I want to tell you, that I had a title from, I don't know, probably the time I was 18 till I was about 40, no, 37, and that title was that I was a youth minister, that I ministered to teenagers, and then I got older. But here's what I understood, is as a youth minister, I got to hang out with these teenagers, maybe two three hours a week. that was it, maximum like I could teach them the Bible like literally I was at uh it was in Nashville this weekend, and uh with family, and there was too many of the family to sit at the one top golf base, so I had to like go sit at another table in the bar behind it, so I thought, well, I'll just read back here while they're playing and hanging out and eating well then uh charlie charlie millard comes back and sits at the table with me and he's like what are you doing i'm like oh, i'm just reading he's like what are you reading i'm like oh reading about prophets it's pretty boring except this one jonah did you know that i said to charlie i said you want to know something interesting about jonah he's like what's that i think jonah died in the big fish he looked at me like what I'm like you, you. You know, like when you're a kid growing up in VBS, Jonah was in this big fish, and he had the campfire in there, and he was eating the fish that the whale ate. You know, and everything was rosy for three days. But what about the fact that Jonah died? Like, like in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus uh, gets he gets busted by the Pharisees, and they say you're doing these miracles out of the spirit of Beelzebub, the devil. And Jesus is like, all right, you're cut off. I'm not, you just blaspheme the spirit. And then he starts telling all of his stories and parables. And they continue to say, well, show us some more miracles. We want you to prove that you're the Messiah, the Savior. I'm totally derailing Titus here. But he's like, show us that you're the Savior. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're, you're only going to see one more miracle. So all the rest of his miracles were done in private, in homes, and. Places where the Pharisees weren't, he says, you're only going to see one miracle, and that's the miracle of Jonah, which was, Jonah died in the big fish, and he was spit out three days later and resurrected, and Jesus, that was the miracle that they were going to see, that Jesus died and that he was resurrected three days later. You can go to Jonah chapter 2 and you can read that how the seaweed was covered in his head and his billows and he went down to Sheol, Sheol's the underworld, which is where Jesus went when he was crucified. I'm telling you, Jonah died in the big fish. And Charlie's like looking at me and goes, that totally makes sense. I'm showing him in scripture what it said. And then at breakfast yesterday morning, Shannon, his mom, says, you know, Charlie came back and told me everything that you told him. Like, like Jonah and Isaiah. Oh, Isaiah! You want? You want? You, you, there's so many good stories in here. Did you know that the prophet Isaiah walked on this earth for three years barefoot and naked? You you didn't even know that. Most anybody in here in the room knew that. Tell anybody in here in the room knew that. He walked around naked and barefoot. For see, you got to read your Bible because there's some really weird but cool stories in here. And and we're in we're in a generation where these these kids are bible illiterate. And I'll say this, our adults are bible illiterate. So like be of sound doctrine, proclaim these things, proclaim the good news. There's some incredible things that are happening. Isaiah, come here buddy. <laughs> So this morning, you know, uh get up here. So Luke, his dad, is like does a Bible study in there like at eight o'clock. Well, his son's the only one that like shows up this morning. They're sitting there at the table, so I come and crash the table. And I'm like, dude, it's gotta be really cool for your your son to like show up and you sit down and, and teach the Bible. And then Luke goes, Well wait, he's got something to tell you. His birthday was Friday, but you want to explain a little bit of what happened in the last three
1: days? Uh, yeah. I'm no uh, speaker, so bear with me. Uh, but I've been going to Bible study on Friday mornings with uh, Scott's leading it. Uh, my dad, Chad's there, everybody. And uh, um, they're allowing me to grow. Um, uh, Scott, uh, he'll lead it. And um, I was there. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't. You're good. Uh, but I've been filled with the Spirit uh, because of Scott and uh, my dad, Chad, and uh, I've taken steps that I haven't been able to before. So it's heavy stuff, but uh, man, I look up to those guys, and they're helping me out. So
0: you used a word, though. What was the word? I look
1: up to them. No, that you experienced the the awe of God for the first time in my life. So. Like I said, I've been filled with the spirit and I'm learning so much more than I have before. And uh, I'm just enjoying it. I'm enjoying the ride and just learning so much. So, I want to thank Scott and uh, thank my dad, Chad, all you guys that are helping me out. So, right on. Thank you, sir. Thank you. you. That's right.
0: Isaiah, I mean, you're a nice looking man, uh, big guy. You realize that um, in this room, this this section right here, LJ, Warner, all you guys, Getchel boys, they all just went. (laughs) Right? I mean, football player, everything else, they're like already like looking at you going, dude. And I I can sit here, you know, the back of the room is doing the same thing. I got a bunch of guys sitting back there on the fireplace. And they probably had to look at you too. So you got all these people like looking at you. Just like you're looking at Chad and Scott and your dad. He's like, but you're to proclaim things that are consistent with sound teaching. Older men. Older men, know what you believe because, Dale, you're going to impact Isaiah. Isaiah, you're going to impact LJ. Just, like, I don't have the title anymore of youth minister, but let me tell you something. I'm more a youth minister than I am a pastor because I care about these students. And here's what I learned is if I want these students to be impacted, their parents need to figure this thing out. Their parents have to figure this thing out. So that's why I'm standing here in front of the parents. I got demoted as a pastor from a youth minister. But they have to know, and it's not just going to be from me, it's going to be from from you, older men. uh, Figure this thing out figure it out. There's people watching us. The community's watching us. Your family's watching us. Your kids are watching you. Oh, now we get to the other one. In the same way older women Yeah, let them have it. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. You you totally took that these verses out of context right there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Lord, fix this. (laughs) In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. If this is 65 A.D., and the church, the church came along in Acts chapter two after Jesus died. You have to understand that the Christian home was a totally new thing at that point. I mean, you're, you're 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 talking like thirty years old. The Christian home, not the Jewish home, where let's get the Torah out, study the Torah, and study the law and memorize it. But now we're living by the Spirit. We're living by the Spirit. There's a Spirit inside of us, and we've got to figure out how to teach them God's word, but at the same time, let the spirit do his thing. So these young women that are Christians, they're being saved from, remember, Vegas and paganism and all that's happening on this island of Crete. And so they've got to get accustomed to a whole new set of priorities. And Paul's like saying, hey, all that stuff that they used to do probably is getting carried over into the church and it's hurting, ladies you can't be doing this same thing that he's he said it to in a positive form to the men but it goes negative here for the women but 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 listen to this it's those who had unsaved husbands they were the ones that like needed special encouragement i think you know, from what I've experienced is that salvation it is easier for women to receive than it is for men. Because a lot of times you will see women praying for their husbands and their salvation. But on the other side of things, I think the grace side of things, the men have an easier time seeing the grace side of things than women do. I'm not being sexist, I'm just watching what happens. And that's probably because the men need more grace than the women do. So they figure it out real quick. And so, literally, Paul's saying to Titus, just share these words with them. Look, he says, Christ breeds love in his children. The greatest of these is love. If a wife loved her husband and children, she was well on her way to making the marriage and the home a success. But, but don't think that she's the only one responsible because, remember, it said older men love. So just because it's focusing on the women in this passage of Scripture, that doesn't mean that it's void of the men here. You know, in the Western society, a man and woman fall in love, and then they get married. But in the Eastern culture, where marriages were planned, they had to learn to love one another. And that's the culture that this is written in. But it comes back to the more we know sound doctrine, the more we will see this love just blossom. You have to know what you believe. You have to teach sound doctrine. And here's an important thing. According to this verse right here, women were teaching in the early church. According to this verse right here. So that God's word will not be slandered. Women were teaching, and they were respected. They were looked up to. And he's like saying, if you, if you understand your identity, natural good things will come out of you, and just as we can pull men up here to be role models, I can pull women up here to be role models. That women, the younger ones, they're looking at you. The daughters are looking at you. They're watching you. They see how you handle things in the house. Paul, he he, he consistently encourages husbands and wives to submit to one another. It's it's not just the wives submitting to the husband, but also the husbands submit to the wives. You can go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. We teach dual submission in here. I don't, I don't expect Michelle to do everything that I plan to do. We have conversations and we talk. And I'm the leader. I'm the spiritual leader in the house. I think she would say yes. My kids would say yes. They see me as the spiritual leader. But look, I submit to my wife. It looks like we're going to get wood floors in the house instead of carpet. (laughs) I want to sit on my floor. I got teenagers coming over. Now I'm not having this argument here. I submit. But get this. She shows me love when I submit to her needs. It's not because I'm submitting to her needs. It's just she naturally loves me. It's not because I do something or I don't do something. It's like we, choo- we choose to love each other. Yep. We, it's a choice. There's times <laughs> she came to the realization, uh, or we came to the realization last week that we've been married 37 years, not 36 years. It just dawned on her. And I'm like, well, there was all the days that were bad was the one year that don't count. So oh, we've had a great marriage. We've had a great marriage because we've chosen to love one another. We've chosen to respect one another. I do this thing, I do this thing in premarital counseling. Those that have been uh, done weddings for in premarital counseling, we talk about this one book, this love and respect book. But in the w- actual wedding ceremony, I talk about how the husband will never, ever, ever learn how to under- understand how to love a woman like she wants to be loved. I, we just not are on the same page Look, we're created differently. We are created different. As much as this society wants to deny it, we are created differently. And I will never, ever, ever, ever understand how much my wife wants to be loved. And at the same point, and I want to be loved too, but at the same point, she'll never, ever, ever, ever understand how much I need to be respected because I'm a dude. And she won't understand that. And so... We get into these, what they call, crazy cycles where uh, I do something unloving to her, so she disrespects me, and then I do something unloving to her, and she disrespects me, and you just get in this crazy cycle. And at some point, you have to go, okay, we understand what's going on here. This is spiritual warfare. It's just a battle. It's just like, I choose to love you. I choose to get out of this crazy cycle. I can teach that and teach that and teach that. But it's the Spirit that has to do it. Spirit has to like get, you just have to submit to the Spirit. Because we, we've we proved over and over and over that we will continue that crazy cycle. I have to submit to the Spirit. If I continue in the, if I continue in the crazy cycle, it's me choosing my flesh. Rather than choosing the Spirit. And guess what? My kids are watching this. My kids are watching this. So what do I want to teach them? Chase my flesh, chase my spirit. He's not saying that marriage is a place of oppression for women or men. It's a place of submissiveness, love, respect, and servitude. To serve one another. I am dependent on my wife to meet my needs. She is dependent upon me to meet her needs. We are one flesh because God made us that way. Verse 6, it says, In the same way, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. That sounds like a behavioral thing probably is at some point, but sometimes you just have to say what it is. You teach them to, again, walk by the Spirit. Just as older men and women are to be of sound doctrine and love, so also are are young men and women. It's not that I'm putting expectations on them. It's like, hey, if you teach them about Jesus and teach them about this Spirit that lives inside of them, it's going to be pretty cool to watch. I love hanging out with these guys. I love hanging out with our students. Paul literally, if he he writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, don't let them look down upon your age. It it doesn't matter how old you are. Just because there's older people in the room doesn't mean that you can't be like them. Doesn't mean that you can't teach the good news. It means you have relationships with people. He's, he's really more concerned about the spiritual maturity than he is the age. Just grow. Just grow. Know Jesus. He says, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Uh, good deeds are not synonymous with legalistic practices. It's not the same. Growing up, I was taught this is what it looks like to be a good Christian, and this is what you should do. You should get up early and pray. You should confess your sins. You should ask for forgiveness. You should do this. And I've come to learn that is a form of legalism. And if I've just learned to walk in the spirit, legalism goes away and the Lord leads me to reading his word. Amen. The Lord leads me to being kind. The Lord leads me to good works. A man walked in and was like, I've been unemployed for two weeks and I can't feed my family. okay. All those go get a Kroger gift card. It's, it just, it's just natural. It's just natural. It just happens. Good. I, I, I didn't have to do that. Spirit said, just go do this. Just go do it. That's what we do as a community. We figure out our identity and we just love people and we encourage people. Make yourself an example of good works. Says your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. <laughs> Paul's literally encouraging Titus to instruct the people just to live at peace with one another while maintaining this pure doctrine. Just just chill out. Just just love one another. Just take care. I I don't agree with everybody in this room. I don't. We're talking about like on the scripture. We're talking about moral decisions. We're talking about parenting. I don't agree with a lot of people in this room. But let me tell you this. I respect you. I respect you. And I love you. And I care about you. I'm not trying to change your mind. I, I get it. You have the same spirit inside of you that I have inside of me. And I would hope that you would respect me for my beliefs. I'm assuming you're okay with my teaching because you're here. Maybe for a week. (laughs) But he's just saying, "Do, do these things out of love. And if you do this, it puts to shame the antagonistic Christians and the message that's being distorted out there. If they see how you behave because of the Spirit living inside of you, they go, there's something different about you. And they want to know more about it. Verse 9, it says, Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing. Paul obviously is talking about employees here. I mean, this is a term that in the Greek culture, slaves referred to those who were like manual laborers. They were tutors and other jobs that were often held by either a family or an individual. And he doesn't have in mind this oppressive system that we have in mind when we hear the word slave. Okay? That's that's a big difference. But he's talking about the employer submit to the masters and everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. The good works being encouraged by Paul are really just like give sound doctrine to them. Teach them the truth. Let them know the goodness. As we express Christ to people, light is shined on this gospel, this message. I, I, I really believe that, that Christ's life in us is attractive to the world. Not Not the legalism, not the Oh, this is what you got to do to be a Christian. That, That doesn't, nobody wants that. It says, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God, through Jesus, did not die for some people or a select group. He died for the whole world because he wants all people to believe. Now, not all people do believe, but he literally died for everybody. Anybody can come to know Jesus. Verse 12, it says, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. God's grace, it's his grace that lives in me and teaches me to live a godly life. That's totally in contrast to having the law over my shoulder and memorizing the law and living by the law, which you can't do. So Paul's literally Point is that grace saves us and he teaches us as we rest in grace. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, Paul has this totally optimistic view of, of Christ's second coming. And there's literally no room in his theology for the believers to fear at Christ's return. I have nothing to fear. Like, if he's forgiven me of all my sins, if he's cleansed me from all unrighteousness, it's all good, buddy. It is all good. He's already taken care of it. He's not going to bust my chops. There's no movie that's going to be playing up there of all my sins or anything like that. Whatever you've been taught as a kid, you know, there's a, your, your sins are on a counter. It goes around like an f- oscillating fan and all that stuff. Uh-uh. He died one time and he dealt with it all and it's a done deal. He gave himself for us to redeem us for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession eager to do good works. That whole word redeem right there in the Greek it's letreo, which means to release, to be set free. I've been set free from a life of sin. That doesn't mean that I don't sin. I still sometimes make bad choices and pursue my flesh. But look, I have the opportunity not to sin at everything. Like, I have the opportunity not to sin. I have the opportunity just to choose the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. I've been given that ability. I'm free from the slavery of sin. He's freed me. I have a new heart. I have a new nature. I'm a new creation. I don't have two natures battling inside of me. It doesn't go on like that. Yeah, there's a battle up here, but I am holy, righteous, and redeemed because of what he did. And these good deeds that happen are basically the fruit of the Spirit that's living inside of me. It's the Spirit doing it inside, not me. It's the Spirit doing it in me, and I go out and do it, and people see it, and it's because of this holiness, this righteousness that he has made me. He's made me righteous. Not looking at some Jesus filter at Rusty. He's made me righteous. He's made me holy. He's separated me from the world. And all of a sudden I just have this, this eagerness, this desire to pursue righteousness and to pursue doing good deeds. I do. It's just natural. And then he says, the last verse here, it says, Proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. I have a holy living God inside of me. There ain't any higher authority than that. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke them with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let me say this. All the social networking we have, with all the Twitter, X, whatever it's called, Facebook, all, all that we have, Paul's not speaking about being combative with people, but rather just standing confidently in the gospel of grace teach what you, if you teach grace, if you teach Jesus, I truly believe that people will be refreshed and have a desire to know that. He wanted Titus to literally bolster the church and their identity so they would be confident during this persecution and rejection that they were receiving. If you can just know your identity, be confident in what you know. You've been in You've literally been entrusted with the good news, the gospel. Like it, It's right here. How, you're going to have conversations with people all the time. And, and the more you know him, Isaiah, the more you know him, the more you're just going to sit here and have conversations with people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Because it's so good. It's so good. Jesus, I trust you with your word. I trust you that um, everybody in this room understands the impact that they have on this world and the impact they have on younger ones in this room. Thank God they're here on a Sunday at Pinheads and looking up to people who love Jesus. Jesus thank you for this community that teaches grace, teaches freedom, teaches identity, teaches forgiveness. Lord, may you continue to do that through your men and women. May you continue to be honored as we read your word and live out your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.